want to come around what we just sang because that really is the message of this morning, um, is God's faithfulness. And I want to talk about that in a way that perhaps is a little bit different. And by a little bit different, what I mean is um, sometimes in the church world, we say things and we do things that don't have a lot of uh, explanation behind them. In other words, oftentimes um, when we're singing or when you hear somebody, you know, whether it's giving a, a talk kind of in between songs or a sermon like this, um, you'll have, you hear someone say something along the lines of like remembering God's faithfulness, remembering God's faithfulness, remembering God's faithfulness. And what's interesting is in the book of Nehemiah, which we've been tracking with this series of uncommon influencers, um, remembering God's faithfulness is the entirety of chapter nine. Um, but one of the things I think we don't often do enough is stop and say, why is remembering God's God's faithfulness so important. In other words, we a lot of times talk about what, what we should do, and sometimes we talk about why we should do it, but specifically, what's at stake when we don't? Because we know and we say a lot, so let's remember God, remember God's faithfulness, remember God's faithfulness. But I think what's really important this morning is God has something for us because I think a lot of us struggle specifically, I think a lot of us struggle with patterns of sin and rebellion towards God because we don't remember his faithfulness. And so I want to talk this morning specifically about how you and I in remembering God's faithfulness or the lack thereof will either live for Jesus or oftentimes live in rebellion from Jesus. So let's pray together as we open God's word. So Jesus, we ask you and we thank you for this morning. We ask you that no matter where we are in our relationship with you, that you would speak to each and every one of us. From a friend who walked in who perhaps is their first time to church ever or first time back to church in a long time, they're just investigating this whole thing as an adult. I pray that you would make today specific and individual to them. God, for the person who has been walking with you and tracking with you and following you, Jesus, for a long time, I pray for them also that you would help to revive our faith in you this morning, our trust in you this morning. And it's in your name, Jesus, we ask this. Amen. So in this series of uncommon influencers, the simple idea behind the entire series is Jesus has called us to be influencers, that we influence people for Jesus when we serve people like Jesus. We influence people for Jesus when we serve people like Jesus. Um, it comes from Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you're salt and light, and salt and light influence everything that they touch. And in Nehemiah, it has kind of been the, the archetype for this series. Nehemiah was a person who felt a burden, who saw a need in a city and began to meet that need. It was super functional. It was not super spiritual. So Nehemiah didn't all of a sudden bring this religious reform. Nehemiah saw that the city needed walls and built the walls around the city. And in doing so, this deeply practical need that was met was to a spiritual end. And so Nehemiah helps to build the wall around the city, fortify the city, which kind of becomes a military presence of the city, that now the people of God that now have the walls around the city, they're beginning to turn back to God. And so last week we talked about how the people for the first time in a long time, man, they read God's word. They read the first five books of the Old Testament. And as they did, they all of a sudden were in this deep sense of mourning. And all the leaders said, stop, 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 don't be in mourning, which is a very odd um, juxtaposition of ideas. They were in mourning because they were aware of their sinfulness. And he says, I want you to realize that today is a day of celebration. 
Today is a day that we rejoice, we rejoice, we rejoice with God as he rejoices. We take refuge in his rejoicing over us as we repent and turn towards him. And again, if you're in here and you're not following Jesus or you're kind of skeptical of this whole faith thing, that's probably part of your story, which is at some point, someone who claimed faith didn't live like it. And you saw that. And you thought, no, I know I'm not perfect, but you want me to believe what you believe, but it doesn't even look like you believe what you believe because if you believed it, then you would probably do something a lot different than what you're doing. And so you saw that and you decided that you didn't want to be a part of it. And so this today comes on the heels of that, these people's declaration that they have just repented. They have just said, okay, we're gonna turn from that. But a part of the turning from that is we need to do a little bit of confession this morning. We need to spend a little bit of time remembering our history. And here's, let me give you the kind of the end of the, of, of the idea of what we're going for. The importance behind, the importance behind us Remembering God's faithfulness is it revives our faith. Many of us, our faith is struggling right now. And the reason is, is because we don't do a good job of remembering. God has been faithful over and over and over and over and over again. God's been faithful in your career. God's been faithful in your marriage. God's been faithful in your finances. God's been faithful in providing. But unfortunately, it seems like the more often that God is faithful, the more often that we forget God. So here's what happens. Nehemiah chapter 9. The 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with, and with earth on their head. Which doesn't mean they were standing on their head. That was like dirt on their head. This was a sign of kind of mourning and sorrow over their sin. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. And there was a number of leaders that were there as they were kind of diving into this idea. But in verse, halfway about through verse five, it picks back up and says, and so this was their confession. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. He says, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, you have made the heaven of heavens with all the hosts, the earth and all that is on it. The seas and all that is in them, you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. So he starts by making this kind of declaration. Okay, God, before we go and re-recount your faithfulness, I just want to remember for a second that I am talking to God. It's an interesting concept because it's, it's, it's fairly intuitive and self-evident, but I think most of us miss that, honestly, most of the time, right? Like when it comes to God, we are quick to rush into God's presence without acknowledging it's the presence of God that we're in. Like, like how many of us when we were singing those songs, like you are tuned into the fact, I am tuned into the fact that I am singing to the almighty God, that I am currently singing, I am currently praising, I am currently worshiping the God who is in every way, shape and form unimaginable. He is the limitless God, the holy God, the pure God, the just God, the right God, the loving God. 
Like for me, a lot of times, man, to be honest, we're singing and I'm like, okay, stop thinking about, you know, my frustration with the kids, you know, stop thinking about that thing I got going on at work or that project or what's going on with school. Like, I just want to, I just want to try to quiet the noise, God, and focus on you. So he pauses for a second and says, man, let me remember who I'm talking to as I launch into this. He says, you are the Lord, verse seven, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. Now pause. He's beginning to go into this idea of let me just remember your faithfulness, God. If you're here, by the way, and you're not terribly familiar with the Old Testament, this is a great uh, morning for you to be here because he gives one of the best and most succinct um, captures a, a lot of what happens in the Old Testament up to this point, which is pretty far into it. And so today it's kind of like somewhat of like a biblical literacy type of idea as we're remembering the faithfulness of God. He says, you are the Lord, the God who chose Abram, that was his name at first, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. That was Father Abraham who had many sons and many sons had, and I am, and so are, so let's all. I didn't know how long I was going to take that, but I was like, they're, they're, they need a little bit of response this morning. Okay. Glad we're on the same page. You found his heart faithful for you, verse 8, and made, and made with him the covenant to give his offspring the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites, and you have kept your promises, for you are righteous. All right, now, massive idea here. Genesis chapter 15, God creates this covenant with Abraham. It happens a couple times where God says, I am going to be your God and you are going to be mine. I am going to be your God and you are going to be mine. Abraham, I have seen you. It wasn't necessarily Abraham's righteousness, but God saw something in Abraham's heart, that he, or Abram's at the time's heart, that he renames him Abraham. And he did this thing that we don't do anymore called a covenant. A covenant was basically an agreement. And covenants were often made between two um, groups of people. So one would be the people in power. They would kind of be the, the kind of the domineering one. And one would kind of be the vassal servant. And how a covenant would work is the person who was under would pay taxes to the over. And the over would give protection to the under. And what they would do is as they would, this was very old school, so, you know, Peter would have a, a field day with this. But what they would do is as they made this covenant, they would call what's called cutting a covenant, which is they would get an animal, slice it in half, put it on two sides. They would both walk, both walk between it and said, if either one of us doesn't do and we don't live up to the, to the requirements of this covenant, may what happened to this animal happen to me. Well, so people made a covenant with people, but people didn't make covenants with God. And Abraham has a dream. And in this dream, it's this covenant ceremony with God. Except for the thing that's interesting about this specific covenant ceremony is that in this ceremony, God walks through the covenant, not Abraham. And this was the significance of that. Abraham, this covenant is going to be dependent on my faithfulness, not yours. Our relationship, our relationship is going to be based on my faithfulness, not your level of faith. That's good news for us, by the way, this morning, because many of us, that's our struggle, is that we don't feel that like we have enough faith. We haven't been faithful enough to God. And here's the good news, that especially under the banner of Jesus, our relationship with Jesus is based on his faithfulness, not 
our faithfulness. So whenever we sing of God's faithfulness, by the way, and I kind of want to do this as like a teaching part because we sing that great is your faithfulness to me, great is your faithfulness to me. And from time to time when we sing that, honestly, I just feel like it's a little me-centered, you know? It's like, God, you've been so good to me. My life is so good because of you, which basically means like, God, I'm just happy that my life is good. But the understanding of this is so powerful It's God, you have been faithful to me even when I have been unfaithful to you. God, you have cared for me even when I did not care for you. God, you are faithful. So he says, let me just recount some of this. You called Abraham, verse nine. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. This was the nation of of Abraham through a number of of things. They became uh, part of Egypt and then they got enslaved by Egypt. And then, you know, Moses led the people out. And as Moses led the people out of Egypt, they came to the Red Sea. They said, oh no, what are we doing? Pharaoh's army's coming after us. He says, and you are faithful. You heard the cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they, the Egyptians, acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. You divided the sea before them. God, you did that. So that they went through the sea before them. Oh, so they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone in the mighty waters. Now, at this point, they're been in the desert and they don't know where to go, what to do. God said, I'm going to lead you to the promised land. They're thinking, great, but... Where's the promised land? We don't have a map for the promised land. He says, I got a map for you. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day. There was this cloud that would lead them by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. In fact, God, you not only led them, but verse 13, you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules, true laws, good statutes and commandments. So God, you told them that this was a good way to live. Some of us would think, well, I don't know if that's a good way to live. Okay, <clears throat> it, it, sometimes we act like the God's laws are like, our commands are like somewhere, some way, shape or form, like confining. He's like, all right, don't commit adultery. I don't know which of us are like, nah, I don't think that's a good one. <clears throat> Honor your father and mother. Any father and mothers are like, I think that's a good one, right? And you're not sure if that's a good one until you have kids. And you're like, yo, I'm just telling you, man, like, don't touch that stove. It's hot. You cannot honor me and touch that stove. But buddy, like, that's on you, you know? You're three, so I'm gonna turn the stove off at this point, right? But at some point, that's on you. And so honor your father and mother. Like, like these things are just fairly self-evident, to be honest. Verse 14, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath. Now, isn't God so confining? He said, hey, take a day off. I don't like that, God. It's like, what? Like of all the commandments that we break, that's probably the one that's most, but that's a different sermon for a different day, classic. And commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Now here's what I think is a little bit interesting about this. We read this and it all seems a little bit archaic, right? 
And you read it, you're like, okay, you know, there's a land and there was a sea and there was a thing and there was a pillar and there was a you know, fire and then there was some commandments and then there was take a day off, have a vacation. Okay, I think I'll, I'll, I'll obey that one. Um, and then um, I want you to make sure you're, you're fed and so I'm going to provide for you, you know, some, some food. I'm going to provide for you some drink and so I want you to be, you know, fully sustained. We hear that and it, that's not much of our, most of our experience. If we had all the time in the world and this was a Sunday school class, I would say, okay, let's get out the paper and the crayons. And let's just, let's just make a timeline of your life. Like each one of us, we could have a version of this where you would think, especially if you're a Jesus follower, like you gave your life to Jesus and there were some things that needed to be worked out. There's some ways that God needed to provide. And when you think about your life, you think about that relationship that you didn't know it was gonna happen if it didn't work out. And it didn't work out and you were just wondering and you were questioning God. But now on the other side of that relationship, you're like, I am so thankful that God, when I did not know you were faithful to me. You had a time when all of a sudden crisis hit, perhaps it's just recently and COVID hit and you didn't know how you were going to pay your bills. You didn't know what was going to happen, but God was faithful. Like you didn't have the most faith in the world, but God came through. What's interesting is every time, so we just had our first community group last week. We start a little bit late because I do everything a little bit late. Um, but we started our community group and every week we do community group. The very first week, we just sit, sit back and tell our story. Where are you from? What's your background? And inevitably in everybody's story, it's this was life. This is how it was going. And here's all of the ways that God intervened. And it's encouraging because you hear people tell stories about how when I first graduated college and didn't have a job and then I did this mission trip and then that kind of created this different thing or that different thing. And all of a sudden, I just look back in hindsight 20 years, 30 years, 40 years later, and I see the faithfulness of God throughout my story. The longer that you've had a story with God, the more you can see the faithfulness of God. But for some of you, the beauty is you're just starting out right now. And at the end, I'm gonna challenge you to begin to document God's faithfulness in your life. The reason that they were able to look back is because they were able to see it and know it. And so they look back and they see the faithfulness of God. But they and our fathers, verse 16, acted presumptuously. That's another way of saying pridefully. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck, it did not obey your commands. Verse 17, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt, which sounds absurd, but it's true. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. I love the way the NIV puts this verse because it says um, that, they, that they as a people did not listen and did not remember God. They did not listen and they did not remember God. They did not listen and they did not remember God. Here's what I would guess. If you were to examine every area of your life or every season of your life where you have lived in just straight rebellion towards God. Now remember here, this is written to people who were God followers. Some of us in this room, like <clears throat> the truth is, is when you hear this, you're thinking, okay, that's for the, per that, that, that's for the heathen in the room. That's not for me. Now, some of us are just like, like we know God. This morning, you know God, and you're living in stark rebellion, blatant sinfulness. 
all of us have been in a season like that at some point. But if we were all to do a biopsy or an autopsy on that season of life, here's what we would find. We did not listen to God and we did not remember the faithfulness of God because if we did, we would know that God is right. It's interesting in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, which I know everybody, you, everybody was having their quiet time in Deuteronomy this morning. Um, so for those of us who you know, aren't as, you know, you know, you weren't having your quiet time in Deuteronomy chapter eight. Deuteronomy chapter eight, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. This is basically, by the way, I think it's awesome because Moses, who has led the people through the desert, who is not gonna go into the promised land himself, is about to die. But he has been with these people who every single day for the last 40 years, they've just walked around this 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 cloud by night, this fire by day, this cloud by night, this fire by day. And every single day, they have had to depend on God because they did not have food in the desert. It was this manna that was kind of this bread-like substance and this dew that they would be able to drink. And they would just be able to have it every single day. This is where, by the way, when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, this was the imagery that he was drawing from. And so Moses, about to die, who has led the people is looking and saying, you are gonna go into the promised land. You are gonna go into the promised land and this promised land is gonna be phenomenal, but there's gonna come some problems in the promised land. I don't know if we're gonna have this on the screen, but in Deuteronomy, I just wanna read this to you real quick. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 11. This is Moses saying to the nation of Israel, man, this is the one thing I want you to remember. He said, lest... He said, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I have commanded. Lest when you have eaten and are full, have built good houses and live in them, which some of us are like, I live in a good house. Be easy right here, okay? And when your herds and flocks multiply, I don't have herds and flocks, so this doesn't apply to me. When your herds and your flocks, they multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. In other words, you will become prideful and you will forget. who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of slavery, who led you, and this is, this is, let me just remember, remind you of this, who led you through the great terrifying wilderness with its fierce serpents and scorpions. That's like enough for me right there. I could stop. But in thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you walk out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Verse 17, this is the kicker. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. He said, here's the problem. When you fail to remember God's faithfulness, the providence of God that brought us to the place where we are now, when you fail to remember, the problem is, is you become prideful and you think that you're the reason that you're there. The reason why you don't read your Bible every day is because, to be honest, you don't feel like you need to. The reason we don't pray every day is because we don't feel like we need to. Because we live in nice houses. And we might not have flocks, but our silver and our gold have multiplied. And if they haven't yet, then you are perhaps on the point where you're studying and you're looking forward to a life where the purpose of your life in some way, shape or form is for your silver and your gold to multiply. Now, the point of this was not to say that's a bad thing. In fact, this was God's will for the nation of Israel. It was simply to say this, don't become proud and think that it's because of yourself that you got there. 
Let me be real explicit with this. Some of us live in rebellion towards God because we feel like we don't need God. And it's only when we face the consequences of a rebellion that we actually turn to God. And you can do that. But you, like the nation of Israel, I, like the nation of Israel, are going to have a lot of scars because of it. So let me ask this question. Are you living in rebellion because of your pridefulness? Are you so prideful to think that the reason you are where you are is because of you? And another pushback to this, well, it is because of me. I did work hard. Well, yeah, that's what they said too. They were the ones who went to battle. They were the ones who went to war. They were the ones who fought. They were the ones who conquered. They were the ones who went into the land, who went into the place, who went into the spot. In fact, that's what he's going to say next in Nehemiah. Verse 22, and you gave them kingdoms and people and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land. Verse 23, you multiplied their children as the stars of the heaven and brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and to possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land and you subdued before the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. So they went in and you subdued the people. God, it was you doing this. There was them fighting, but it was you doing this with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities in a rich land and took possession of houses full of good things. Cisterns already hewn. I don't even know what that means. Vineyards, all of orchards and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted in themselves in your great goodness. God, it was your great goodness that you gave them favor, that you gave them the the ability, the military power and the might. God, it was you who put me in a land, in a country where I had the ability, where I was raised in a house where college was the expectation. It was you who when I was terribly just just rebellious against school and all kinds of things that had multiple parent interventions. It was you because of the fact that you gave me that support system and that structure. I almost didn't have a choice in being successful. But I worked hard, kind of. But net, net, I had so much more advantage. And that advantage isn't negative. It's just simply for me to have humility and say, okay, God, I am so thankful. Let me remember you and live for you. But verse 26, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed great blasphemies and you gave them to the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. In the times of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the land of their enemies. Well, he continues on and he explains the rest of it what happened and what unfolded. And then in verse 32, he drops into current day and he says, now therefore our God, the great, the mighty and the awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us. In other words, God, I know we've been unfaithful. We're going through some stuff right now. Those can both be true. Upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day, that was the exile. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. You have dealt with us faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our priests, 
Our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in your own king, their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and the large and the rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. He says, so today, verse 36, we are slaves in this land that you gave our fathers. I, that's, that's such strong imagery. This is kind of the point that I wanted to get to towards all this. For many of us, God has been faithful, but we have lacked faithfulness to God. And for many of us, the reason that we don't turn to God is because we feel like our relationship with God is contingent on our faithfulness to God. We want to live for God because he so loves us, because he gave us son to die for us, because his spirit now lives inside of us. But it is not our faithfulness to God that substantiates our relationship with God. It is God's faithfulness to us. It is that we can't earn our way into his good graces. This is why the gospel is not just like the first step in the stone of in the staircase of faith, everything centralizes around this idea because it's simple. It's that we can't and God can. We can't and God can. We can't and God can. And so if we would just spend time remembering his faithfulness, not just, oh God, life is good. It's like, no, 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 God, when I have been terribly unfaithful, you have been extraordinarily faithful to me. When I have pushed everything away, even you, you did not give up on me. It's Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work and you will continue it on until the day of Jesus. So they sit. And they're aware of their lack of faith and they're aware of God's faithfulness. And as they go through this chronology of events, they end the chapter by declaring this to God. Verse 38. Because of all this, all this being because of your incredible faithfulness in spite of and lack in, in, in contrast to our lack of faithfulness. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing and sealed on the documents are the names of our priests, our Levites, princes, Levites, and priests. In other words, God, we acknowledge we have been unfaithful to you. But when we pause, when we remember, when we look at your faithfulness, your faithfulness that is accentuated because of our lack of faithfulness. Remembering revives my faith in you. Remembering restores my faith in you. Remembering reveals my lack of faithfulness, but it in every way, shape, and form drives me, motivates me, revives me, and restores my faith in you. So let me just simply ask this question. When was the last time you paused and remembered the faithfulness of God in your life? When was the last time you paused? I mean, I was thinking about this. I'm like, man, I don't know. Because I'm so focused on what's next. I'm so focused on the future. I'm so fo focused on what we still have to do that sometimes it's easy for me to forget and say, God, 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 you have done so much. Like, you have been so good. Like, you have done so much more than I deserve, than I should have, than I should see done through me, through us, through our church, in our city. Like, God, you have done so much. 
and it's only because of you. And when I think about that, the response for me is to say, God, I am all in for you. I am restoring, I am renewing this covenant, this relationship. God, I am committed to you. And I know I said I was committed before, but God, I am committed to you because I just can't help but be overwhelmed by your love for me. And this was the beauty of it, that we have more than they had. You see, back to this Genesis 15, this is the last thing I'll say-ish. Back to the Genesis 15 thing. Here's what the other part of that covenant when, when just God walked through meant. This covenant is gonna be dependent on my faithfulness, not your faithfulness, but in your unfaithfulness. If you are unfaithful, I will die for you. In Genesis 15, God declared his sacrifice for his people that would come in Matthew chapter one. In Genesis 15, God would declare, this is going to be dependent on me and when you are unfaithful, I will suffer. And that should drive us to say, God, if you would love me that much in spite of and in light of my lack of faith and my rebellion towards you, I will freely live. I will give everything I have. I am committed to you because you are faithful. So here's what I want you to do with all this. At some point, in the next 24 hours, I simply want you to pause five minutes, 10 minutes. For some of us, we're gonna assume we're gonna pause for like a whole afternoon. But I just simply want you to pause. And I want you to remember. Pause and remember. Because every area and season of rebellion happened because we failed to remember and consequently didn't listen. We get prideful. We thought it's because of our own hands. And here's what I would guess. If we remembered more, we would sin less. If we remembered more, we would be more faithful. If we remembered more, it would take less of us spending time documenting all of our areas and seasons of unfaithfulness. And we would actually be the people that God had called us to be. That when people looked at you, when people looked at me, when people looked at our church, when people look at Christians, they wouldn't see hypocrisy. They would see people who are not perfect, but who are authentically living for Jesus. I think that would change our city. And it starts with us remembering. Let's pray together. Jesus, I ask you and I pray that for so many of us, we're familiar with the term, God, we want to remember what you've done and what you've done for us but we honestly don't stop and remember. We agree with the conceptual reality that we ought to remember, but we don't always know why. But God, we know when we fail to remember, we become prideful. When we fail to remember, we usually fail to listen. When we fail to remember, we become rebellious. Help us to remember. I mean the instances, the specific instances of the night that we were unfaithful to you, of the day that we were unfaithful to you, of the trip where we were unfaithful to you, of the season of life, that semester of life that we were unfaithful to you. But not so that it weighs over us or it lingers heavy on us, but so that we can see your faithfulness and your goodness in contrast to it. We can experience your overwhelming love that you continually restore and replace. So God, would you help us to pause and remember, to pause and to remember 
and to remember the specific times and the specific areas, not so it lingers over, but just so we can bask in your goodness and your greatness. We are so thankful that we serve a God who when we are faithless, you are faithful. And I pray that that would revive our faith, restore our faith, replenish our faith in you. And it's in your name, Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Hey, we love you guys so much. Thank you for coming this Sunday. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And as always, if there's anything we can do, we've got a number that we would love for you to text to pray. If there's anything we can do to serve you or pray for you this week. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday.